Hello and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today's film is The General, directed by Buster Keaton, starring Buster Keaton and Marion Mack. My name is Cameron Tuttle, and I'm joined with Isaac Ransom. Isaac, how are you doing? I'm actually, I've been better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're sick. You're a a quarantined boy. You got to forgive me if I I start coughing. I've been infected with uh, the COVID, finally. After two years, no, I'm just kidding. I, um, it has come around. It has hit me and my family. My brother brought it in, so he has been shunned, uh, but it was not enough. And so now the whole <laughs> family is in this bonding experience before mm. uh, my brother and I move out. But it's fine. We're living. Um, my dad. We've we've had a couple scares running to the ER and stuff. It's been kind of a crazy week, but today is probably the best day for me to record. Um, I feel much better than I have the last four or five days. So um, I'm on good recovery. Just forgive me if I start coughing. I'll try to cough to the side the side of the mic. How about you, Cameron? Yeah, you need a cough button on your on your desk, don't you? A mute switch. I would yeah. never do a mute switch. I don't I mean I get it, but like I'm just terrified of an XLR cable like losing something. I don't understand audio as much as I <laughs> pretend to do. I'm like, what is that you're what are you doing? You know, I guess maybe if it was a pedal or something. It's know. so funny because I know so many people who are sick right now. Um and I don't leave my house. So I guess it doesn't matter. Actually that's that's such a lie because I do um and I go to big events and that's like the only thing that I do. <laughs> yeah. So I'm... I work at big events and then I go home and I don't leave. So um yeah, but uh no, I've been good. Uh I've been really kind of busy. Um I I feel like I've been ne- neglecting this podcast a little bit. So I yeah. apologize to our listeners. Um but it's it's really because I've been trying to put in some work behind the scenes in terms of my own uh you know, work situation. So, um, I've been really busy and I've, I've been trying to sort of, uh, iron some things out on the, on the back end. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's funny cause, uh, we were talking a little bit beforehand, but we're both kind of at a, um, let's just say pivotal moment uh, sure. in a lot of ways, uh, with you, you know, moving out and stuff. And so, yeah, we're, we're kind of both in the same boat, I would say. And, um, uh, it's it, it feels good. It feels good to have kind of a a plan ahead of us in yeah in, in a little bit. No, definitely lots of good changes. The year is starting off wild. Can I just yes. say I cannot believe it's only been like <laughs> two weeks. It feels like every day has been just insanity. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, I don't know what it was, Cameron. I didn't even really tell you live on the show last week. Like my week was just back to back with stuff. And I was so exhausted only to then just get hit by the train of COVID, no pun intended for this episode, I guess, you know, I just, uh, I, um, like I had like, what was it? There was something on Monday that I was doing with work. Um, and then we, my, my mom had this memorial, um, actually just kind of throw back, not to be like sad or anything. We love my grandma, but she passed two years ago, um, before COVID started and so much of like what we were talking about that memorial was based on our podcast that we did. Um, everything comes from something. I had an episode with her uh, and I was like, wow, I can't believe how crazy this is to have like an hour of somebody who like passed away just talking about life, you know? Um, and so that was on Tuesday and then I had video shoots on Wednesday for Juliana's like music stuff and then a podcast on Thursday and then 
something else on Friday was like some like music thing. I forget what it was, but I was so packed last week. And then I was like, well, maybe this week will be more relaxed. And then I got COVID. I was like, man, what is happening this year already? And there's a ton of, a ton of good stuff, like also laying down too, but it's just, it's been a whirlwind. I like what you said. I feel like everyone I know is sick. It's just crazy right now. Yeah. Which, which, you know, to be fair is probably good in some ways in that we can, um, hopefully, you know, this one seems, seems a bit weaker, uh, than, than the past one. So, you know, hopefully we can kind of get people to be, uh, acclimated to it, uh, in some ways. Plus, you know, a lot of people got vaccinated and stuff. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, but I, it's crazy because I've, um, the, you know, I've been kind of going back and forth to San Jose a couple times, uh, last week. Um, and every time I left, uh, in the morning or in the middle of the day or wh- whatever time it was, there was a huge line um, backed up from the hospital that's near my house in San Jose. Mm. And I was like, what is going on here? And it's all people just getting tested, I think, for the holidays, um, yeah. going going wherever they need to go. But it was it was crazy to see, like, literally down Cottle Road, like, uh, you know, like two blocks of, of just lines and lines of cars. It was, yeah, it was pretty pretty nuts so we got we got we now have like test tests being hoarded so um like my work was like well before you can come back you need to have a positive test and i was like what like where am i supposed to go or a negative you know, like, negative test or a negative test right yeah. negative test so i was like well i want to find one of those like at home kits but they're all sold out and then like yeah i drove by a couple places and there's just massive i was like mm, maybe i just can't come into work next week you know i just i can't i gotta work from home or something yeah, but definitely um yeah it's 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 a weird time for sure uh we hope if you're sick that you're getting better um it's yeah we should probably move on and talk about movies cameron have you been watching anything lately no uh i've been watching nothing so it's partially because i have been really busy uh but also um, yeah, that's kind of it. I, I've been, I've just been busy this last week, so haven't really had much time to, to watch anything. Um, I've been, uh, kind of just lounging around because I've been sick, but yeah. surprisingly I've not been watching much, just, um, some old TV shows. I watched this show when I was younger called Psych and I was watching some of that, just kind of like dumb, fun TV and, uh, continue watching some of the Mandalorian or the book of Boba Fett. The show is, you know, I was positive on it um, for the first episode. It's kind of dumb. Like it is, <laughs> it is dumb. I don't know. I don't know how else to put it. Like, I think it kind of hit me when I was talking about it positively last week, Cameron. And you're like, but who wants to know about Boba Fett? His mystery is his character. And it's like watching the next few episodes, the more I watched of it, the more I was like, not only do I not care about this backstory too much, but it's like making it worse, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I don't know. I'm going to keep watching it. I mean, I, I don't think it's done anything negative. I love Dave Filoni and what he does with the Star Wars stuff. I watched a lot of the bad Clone Wars seasons. Um, I've seen all the episodes, so I'm going to stick with it, but... This is like kind of my big thing about TV is that I just eventually like it. Sometimes it just feels filler. I I don't know for sure. Um, but no movies. Um, 
besides the ones that we watch for the show, a lot of a lot of video games. My whole like friends, all my friends that I play online with have been sick all week as well, and I haven't seen that. <laughs> I haven't seen nice. them. I have not seen them for weeks too. So it's not like we were part of the same infected party. Like they were all gone for the holidays, all separate, yeah. and suddenly we're all sick at the same time. Um, and so it's been it's been fun. A lot of Apex, Call of Duty, all this stuff. So. It's been it's been good to play. But Cameron, I'm gonna get to your hot take. I've been holding back a cough, so I'm gonna see if I can get through this question without <laughs> coughing to death. Um in honor of the general, Cameron, yes. I want you to pick a vehicle of your choice as a war machine. There's trains in this. You can think of anything, blimps, you know, boats, cars, semi-trucks. What is your war machine of choice? Yeah. Well, okay. I I just want to clarify. Is this like improvised war machine or is this like, you know, we're we're being tactical and, you know, there's military conflict. Am I like going up against the US government or something? No, 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 no. I want you. I mean, I want you to imagine you're fighting anything from orcs to angels to governments, whatever. Like this is going to be your vehicle of choice you know i I feel like the the only true choice um and and really the one that you might have to pick uh just being such a staple of of modern war is is the tank i think the tank is really Mm. the the true war vehicle it's like the the true expression of the war vehicle if that makes sense yeah Um, no it's true especially on land obviously uh, otherwise I think the, um, so the tank plus the aircraft carrier is like, that's, that's like you're golden. You got land and you got sea, uh, you know, you've got tank divisions and if you've got a naval division, um, that's, that's kind of where, you know, where you, where you hit the sweet spot. Um, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to make you choose Cameron. You are inside one war machine. With your army, like let's say you can have an army too, all right. But you are in like the mega war machine. Like, what is that? You know. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think I think probably I'd go with. Um. I'd probably go with a tank at this point. All right. Um. Just just based on the nature of the combat that I'm imagining, uh, you know. But yeah, uh, it really depends. It's a it's a tactical decision more than anything. So, not to go on a history tangent, but uh. Because I've been playing too many video games, like we've been playing Battlefield 1, just like absurd. Obviously, that's a video game, but (laughs) a lot of the inspiration is inspired by like how weird and experimental the weapons of World War 1 were. Yeah. Of course, a lot of these guns that they use in that game or vehicles are like, they made one of them in World War 1 and was trying it. Yeah. But like, it's it's still crazy to think about like before the atomic bomb weaponry and like in between World War One and the Civil War, like what absurdity was going on? The war crimes with chemical warfare. Um, it's just like some of the things in that game. I, they're inspired, like war blimps. Like what the heck? Who who even thought of that? You know? Yeah, I mean there there were examples of war blimps early on in in World War One. Um, it was pretty rare though. That that wasn't like a huge thing. And obviously, oh, yeah. one of the big uh, <laughs> problems with blimps is that uh, using lighter than oxygen air 
is uh, t- typically pretty flammable. and <laughs> doesn't work out well. So, um, yeah, I don't think they were that much used in like actual combat combat. But yeah. obviously, you know, World War One was um, a, a very pivotal moment in, in terms of, of, you know, where what we think of as modern warfare. Um, and as they say, like, you know, you're always prepared to fight the last war. And I think that was everybody on all sides of, of World War One was they were prepared to fight wars from a different era. And it was just it was not it was not the uh, the right tactics uh, yeah. for, for the time. But well, if you're looking for a shooter to burn some time, Battlefield One is still awesome, and it is hilarious to see horses flying next to airplanes, and it's 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 a crazy good game. Like I I I was blown away. Not that we're talking about video games, but like it is genuinely cinematic. It blows it blows my mind uh, to play that one. Well, uh, this is a movie podcast, not a game podcast, not a history podcast. Cameron, this is Cinema Spectator. You can support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. Get a couple dollars or throw a couple dollars our way. Get an exclusive episode, questions right on the air, a bunch of other benefits. You can check it out. If you don't have a few dollars, give us a rating. Tell friends and family. That's how the show grows. It all helps. Cameron, it's time to continue. Silent Month, January. Uh, talking about Buster Keaton. This is my first exposure to him. Let's get into the general and the other one we watched that I don't remember the name of. That was a YouTube video. So, uh, yeah, well, it wasn't originally a YouTube video, obviously, but um, it is. It is currently on YouTube. Yeah, you can watch it there. Um, yeah. So the general is based on a true story of the American Civil War, uh, where an engineer must single-handedly recapture his locomotive after it's seized by Union spies and return it through enemy lines. Uh, so kind of a, I would say a big, a big premise in a lot of ways, um, got a lot of budget behind it, obviously, um, and has, has a certain sense of blockbuster quality, even for 1926. Um, I think it's, I think it's pretty clear looking back that this was, an extremely expensive movie to make and um, probably a passion project of Keaton's. Um, although a little background on Keaton, the artist, uh, he was um, really only working from working as a director from 1920 up through uh, 1929 uh, was kind of his last real you know, production role. Um, and then, uh, you know, he came back later on, but really it was, uh, this film, it was the general that, uh, cut his, his career very short because he lost his, um, deal. I can't, I can't remember which, uh, which studio he was working with for this one, but he had to be basically, uh, shunned, uh, from that studio because of how terribly this movie did. And, um, he went on to uh, to sign a deal with MGM uh, that really cut down on his sort of creative license and creative freedom. Uh, and eventually, you know, he he kind of spiraled uh, as a as an artist and as a filmmaker and stopped making movies altogether um, after after twenty nine. And um, yeah, no. So he you know, he was really influ. I think it's undeniable that his movies you can see traces of them in a lot of movies today. Um, and I think it's pretty obvious that he's had a legacy. Uh, but for someone who's only really renowned for the 20s, um, it's it's pretty impressive what he's been able to accomplish. Um, and 
sort of just his his general legacy as a as an artist and as a filmmaker. Um, but I want to get sort of your first impressions. I know you, you know, this is kind of the first time you had ever seen anything from Keaton. Um, what do you think of the, of the general for, uh, actually, let's start with what you think of one week. Um, cause you know, that one's kind of a little less to chew on, I would say, but, uh, still kind of gives you the taste of, of Keaton as an artist. Well, um, one week, it follows the story of Keaton being like a young man that gets married and what they're building a house and yeah. it's like trying to basically represent them starting off their marriage uh, for one week. Right. And uh, a lot of shenanigan Looney Tune esque things are happening as they're trying to put together the house or keep it running and have people over. Um, it's only like what, 20 minutes or something like that. Yeah, Just around like 20 15 minutes. It's two yeah. reels. So um I think each reel is like nine minutes or something. Yeah. So probably 18 minutes. Yeah. I, I don't think that the movie really like picked up or got my attention till about halfway. Um, this one, this one came out before the general, right? Uh, yeah. 1920. This one. Yeah. Came out. Um, so one of the earliest movies that we've seen on this show. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it feels very old. Um, yeah. But kind of surprising how, despite it not really, like, it's not like you can't follow it, but there's really almost no, you don't really know, like, what the purpose of the movie is the entire time. There's not a plot, really. Yeah, Um, yeah, it's more, like you said, just shenanigans, more just, it's, it's, um, it's inspired a lot, I would say, by sort of vaudeville um, and that kind of entertainment show, Uh, both um, it's like, imagine a magic show and a, like a dance routine and like, uh, like, um, Cirque du Soleil, it, you know, it's like, it's like all of those things kind of, kind of mixed together is vaudeville. I mean, uh, so. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. Cause it's obviously, it's not like, there's not like a bunch of dancing or anything. It's more of like kind of practical stunts or, or action. Right. Yeah. Um, but the movie really has these moments that I think charm you when it comes to like it being so old and yet still so like creative in the way that they're mm-hmm. working with the camera and things yeah, like that. And I didn't really, I don't usually appreciate things like this, but there's one scene about halfway through where um, like the wife is taking a bath and she drops the soap. And I think it's probably one of the most <laughs> famous parts of the movie. Um but like the like a guy basically she has to reach for the soap and she's like don't look and a guy like covers the lens with his hand <laughs> and then like moves the like the hand away from the lens and just to see something like that in an old movie like showing um almost like breaking the fourth wall that early it's 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 kind of, it was genuinely shocking for me followed by some pretty absurd violent it looks so violent when keaton like falls through that like chimney into the bath (laughs) and then like flies outside doesn't he like fly off the uh, the 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 second story after that yeah i think he um uh i can't remember where he lands at this but the whole i mean the whole time um obviously you know you're uh like you mentioned last week there's there's no um 
there's no CGI with this. So everything that's being done is being done for real. So it's like, you know, it's a real stunt uh, in, in yeah. all of these in all of these scenes. Um, but yeah, but I think you're right that it looks violent because it is violent. <laughs> yes. And um, and it, it it's it's the funny part of it in a lot of ways. And I, I think you mean what like you're talking about sort of creativity in a lot of ways. Um, and, and it's obviously very creative with its use of, uh, both camera and just, um, set and prop and, you know, everything that it does basically. Um, but I think the, uh, the intriguing thing to me is like, how do you, I, how do you imagine someone from the 1920s, approaching this movie you know this was probably showed before in like a series of of movies you know is probably one of a couple um you know maybe half dozen movies that you would see at, at the theater um and I, like how how would someone walk away from this i i imagine it would be like kind of mind-blowing in a lot of ways because it yeah. still is a little bit mind-blowing um the the ability that he has and the command of of uh everything on screen it's just it's just really it's something to behold i would say but yeah no it's um it's it's cool to kind of scroll through and i think honestly it existing on youtube is such a great platform and there's a ton of great like like i ended up going after finishing it um instead of being like, well, I'm glad that's done. I wanted, I went through the comments because mm -hmm. that's really what I wanted to see is like, what do people think of this? And there's a bunch of ancient people saying, Oh, this is the most incredible movie ever made. And I was like, oh, I don't care. <laughs> I don't really care about that. What I, what I appreciated was the people that put timestamps and started talking about like, how crazy is this moment right here? You know, yeah. like how this is like absurd. Right. And, um, like just pointing out little, little moments in the film. And I think like, it's worth visiting the video for that. Um, I barely remember anything from the beginning and the end of the film is just a crazy stunt that like puts a stamp on it. Right. Like, okay, I get it. But I think it's just, it's, it's short. You can go explore it. It's consumable. Um, I think if you're interested in something like that, like it's there for you. And I love that there's a public, discussion happening at the same time with the video i think that's a big draw for me that i was able to watch it on youtube and it's just it it doesn't even make like i was i watched most of it on my phone cameron which i know is like yeah. like kind of crazy but i was just like this is it doesn't it, it's a very strange experience for me to be watching a film from the 1920s on my iPhone with comments on you like it's just yeah but i i really appreciated that experience like somehow i don't know it was it was weird um and i think a lot of it came back to sort of the how old it is and and the discussion around it so i for what it, for what it is that you know i don't even really consider it a movie it's just sort of like this this uh like museum piece almost Mm -hmm. um, and, and in some ways, it's hard to call this a movie necessarily. Um, I think I think you could. Uh, I mean, it's definitely a short film, obviously. But, um, you know, one of the things about these very, very early films is one, they're like extreme experimental nature, uh, which I think you can see out of this, this yeah. movie. Um, 
and two, they're um, they're I think a lot of them, a lot of these short films are are geared towards um, a very consumable um, uh, type of of entertainment, uh, and and I think I think this is a great example of it. You know, these these little two re- two real shorts um, are kind of meant to uh, thrill, entertain, uh, bewilder. And, you know, ultimately it's, it's kind of, a an attention grabber for the audience of the 1920s. Um, and, you know, in some ways you can look at it as a, um, you know, like a, like a, a ride or a, like an amusement park, uh, you know, a, a thing at an amusement park or something, you know, it's, yeah. it's something akin to that of, um, it's very, um, it's very focused on grabbing your attention. Uh, and I, I think this one really does a pretty good job of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't have too much more to say about that other than I think it's a good introduction to, to sort of, um, silent shorts on the one hand, which we'll discover more of next week. Um, but I think also it's, it's an interesting example um kind of just a crazy little little piece a little slice of of history in a lot of ways oh yeah um and i i love it i i think you're right in that it's it's very short um it's pretty easy to watch um you can put it on and kind of just be amused by it and it really it really does still have something special um and something just really um r- really creative about about what's going on. And that's what I said last time was that sometimes, you know, I'll be scrolling through Instagram or, you know, whatever, and something from Buster Keaton pops up because of how I think timeless a lot of his gags are um, and how impressive they are too. So, yeah. Um, well, let's, but let's, let's, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the general because yeah. that's sort of, what I've been most curious about my own feelings towards, especially after last week when we watched Chaplin's silent movies. And a lot of, a lot of people fans of the show know that I love the great dictator. And I was a little bit surprised about how much like, it's not that I didn't appreciate Chaplin's, um, you know, city lights, which we watched last week. It's just that it was a little disengaging um at moments for me and this movie the general felt very opposite i felt surprisingly engaged mm-hmm. and uh something about the story felt more linear and easy to like be invested in and yeah. that really helped my experience as an audience or member watching it now we watched the amazon prime remastered version of this movie um it has color and I'm pretty sure they added sound effects as well. Yeah, they did, which um, I think that's the only way that you'll be able to find this movie now is with added sound effects. Um, I don't know about the paid versions, obviously, but uh, yeah, anything free that you look at right now is going to have is going to have really bad sound effects. Um, I find that really distracting personally. Um, I don't like that. Uh, and I actually... I thought I was going to hate the color version of it, but I thought it was pretty good. I think um, it's really hard to tell where some of these um, like col- added color, like where that happens. I was trying to do some 
research into how they did that. Um, and, uh, I couldn't tell anything. So it's possible that it was processed originally back in the day, um, in, in, uh, with color tinting in mind. Um, and that was possible, uh, back in 26, they, they did have the ability to tint, um, and in a lot of ways they colored in, uh, films. So they, you know, they shot something and then someone would hand actually hand color the, um, each frame. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's what happened in this case. Um, I really couldn't tell anything about, about how it was colorized. Um, and yeah, the, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, you're definitely getting a less, um, authentic i think you're getting a less authentic picture but it does actually look pretty good and i think it they did a good job of of maintaining uh not not distracting you with with some some of the things the sound is another story in general i mean it's the sound is bad but um <laughs> yeah. yeah uh but i w- yeah i mean what did you think as someone who doesn't like or know very many silent movies I don't know. I like the sound effects didn't bug me. I I kind of I I I sort of enjoyed them. I I don't know. Like I definitely noticed moments with them, and I was like, "Oh, that was probably added after." And it's kind of cute how they were trying to like stomp in the mud. And there's like a specific <laughs> moment where he runs in the mud and then jumps over like like he steps onto a wood board. Like it's kind of like Western town look, right? He steps over and then yeah, cuts yeah. in line for enlistment or enlisting. Um, and they like made sure to do like mud, 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 wood tap, mud, mud. And I was like, Oh, like, you know, that was kind of uh, neat that they paid attention to something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I think there was probably some noticeably bad sound effects, but there's also a decent amount that you didn't like, you probably didn't care. Like the train sounds were in there. Yeah. You know, I don't, yeah. I, th- those were fine. Right. Those were kind of fun. Um, yeah. The, so, so we watched this remastered version and I think there's just something more. I, I think what it was for this film is that the, the linear plot was also driven by physical action. I mean, so much of this movie, right. As you were talking about is, um, a guy like getting a train, trying to get a train and the train is moving and there's multiple trains chasing other trains <laughs> and stuff and people jumping off trains and jumping between trains and throwing stuff bunch, on the tracks. And, yeah. And a bunch know, of sabotage. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot happening with moving things. Mm-hmm. And I guess to someone who usually isn't very attentive during something that doesn't hold my attention like 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 a silent movie i feel as a viewer is a very difficult thing to sit through i don't know what it is um but this movie did a great job at just being like there's a lot going on on screen and it's not like mad max a lot going on on screen it's just like visually the plot and everything is like on a track and it's moving. And I mean, yeah. like, I know because it's I, I don't know, like, it's it's just very simple. Um, but it was it was simple in a way that was good. And I was surprised at the end. Not that the movie meant 
anything, but you could tell how um, like heartfelt the movie was being put like toward towards the end with kind of the goofy. There's like obviously like a kind of goofy romance, um, but even uh, Keating's like like he becomes a not a general, but like he gets upgraded or accepted into the army and stuff, right? Um, there's something about like these silent actors that are made fun of and laughed at and beaten down and that's just their character, but it sort of felt like it was coming from a place that knew that feeling really well throughout the yeah. whole movie, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and for someone to be able to act that way, and I would say Chaplin's the same, right? These, it, there's just like a, a humble presence about silent actors. Um, or at least Keating and and um, and uh, Chaplin that we've, that we've been watching. And so I was kind of like, towards the end, I was like, you know, this movie definitely wasn't as deep and human as City Lights. But I was more engaged in it. And there was something about it that I couldn't quite pin that still felt really cared about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Yeah, I do. I feel like a lot of people need to jump and watch this movie. I'm still, I'm still confused why we're doing a silent month. You know, I don't even know why people would go and explore this stuff. But for what it is, it was one of the, it is probably the most engaging silent movie I've ever watched. Um, so I, I think that's pretty, pretty high praise. Do I think you need to run out and watch this? Well, it's free on Amazon if you want to at least explore some of it. You know. And they've tried to make it as modern as it can be. So I, I think it's, I think there's, you know, they're doing everything they can for you to, to go watch it. But Cameron, I'm interested about your thoughts on this. And also, you know, you mentioned a little bit off, off show last week to me, um, about how silent movies have been difficult for you in school and stuff and sort of like, your thoughts on this movie and also maybe about silent movies in general, because like, I know we were, we've, we're almost halfway through, right. Doing silent month. So I'm, I'm trying to learn a little bit more. I'm sure we're going to get more into the negative soon. (laughs) Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think this movie is really, um, in, in a lot of ways, a testament to some of the sort of brilliance of these, you know, these artists back then, um, and Keaton's one who, like I said, he, he just had such a, um, a short career, but like basically like maximally effective, you know? Um, and really he's one who you see, uh, you see touches of all around. I mean, you mentioned Mad Max. I think it's obvious that a lot of Mad Max is, is, probably looking back to this movie in a lot of ways. Um, and I, you, you know, um, I like to think about like Edgar Wright, I think is, is super influenced by, by Keaton, um, as someone who's, uh, both a, you know, a visual comedian and, uh, really knows how to hold a gag and hold and, and sort of, um, perfect that, that visual language. Um, so I, I think you see ripples of Keaton, um, in, in films today. And, and I, you know, what I find most interesting about going back and watching these movies is, 
um, seeing the echoes of other movies in them, uh, if that makes sense. Hmm. And and I think, um, you know, and you could do that. And, you know, you mentioned bad silent movies. You can do that in silent movies that you don't like. And I, I definitely have that thought. I mean, that's like first I have like my my am I entertained slash engaged in this movie brain and then i have my oh does this it, does this come up anywhere else is this a um a place where other filmmakers have come back to and pulled ideas from and uh you know gained knowledge from and so you know you can work on that two different levels you know you don't have to um just focus on one or the other and you know oftentimes when i'm not engaged in something or when i'm not entertained by something my my other brain sort of starts to fill in those gaps of like oh is this important somehow um but i think this this movie works on both levels and uh, as you mentioned i mean it is it is entertaining it is pretty engaging um you know there's a little bit of lead up time i think uh you know there's there's some some you know intro where it's not it's not quite fun yet it kind of gets fun around like the 10 minute mark ish um but but then from there i mean it it basically is like a crescendo of awesome and then like that huge battle scene is is really like impeccably well done um Mm -hmm. starts off with just like an insane stunt that is 100 percent real um and then just keeps on getting like crazier and crazier with more um more you know, action going on. And, and then on top of that, you know, humorous gags as well. Um, and I think, I think that's like, it just indicative of, of Keaton as an artist, he's someone, and you saw this a little bit with one week, you know, it starts off kind of, um, as a slow, not, not that slow. I mean, one week it has an awesome gag where, you know, part of the house falls over or, you know, they flip, uh, the house flips on them and like she, she goes on top and then like he's on the bottom and then the house falls and like, you know, that's a, that's a gag that he used a couple different times. Um, yeah. Where the house falls over him and, and not the one in one week, but there's another gag. There's one very famous shot of Buster Keaton where he's, um, that's been parodied over and over and over again, where he's standing, you know, back turned towards the front of a house. It's like an A-frame house and then it falls over in the window. Yes. Uh, go, yes. You know, and he and he's you know standing, and that's that's been done over and over and over again. Um, but you know, so so, um, you know, you, so it's got this crescendo. One week does still, uh, where you know it starts a little bit smaller scale, and it builds up and builds up until like the house is spinning and like they're moving it with a with a carriage and stuff and it's just like it it gets to this like insane level where um you know the general also does that where you know it starts with just the background but then that first train ride is really an interesting set piece and kind of sets the tone for the rest of the movie in a lot of ways um and is excellent in its own right it's kind of uh, a fun uh you know a fun back and forth and there's that really really famous shot of him on the front of the train and he gets off and he and he picks up the plank um and he you know he falls back on the train and then he throws it 
at the other plank. That's like that's classic Keaton. Like literally, if people don't know, people know that shot. Basically, mm. is what I'm trying to say. That that's like probably his most famous um, shot uh, because it's it's awesome and it's insane. Uh, and he really did that on that moving train, you know. So <laughs> um, yeah, but. Uh, you know, it sets that that first train sequence sets the tone for sort of how the rest of the movie will pick up its gags. And what I found impressive watching it this time was how how many different gags they use. And they're all different and they're all unique and funny and use the camera in different ways. And there's just something so like energetic and like it it's it it feels living that you know that that movie it, it really feels like um it was they were you know they it came to life when they were making it and there was just something kind of kind of magical about uh, about the um the whole production of it and the vision well, there, of it yeah there there are some amazing stunts on the trains and people jumping around the trains but what's weird to me is that those kept me watching the ones that i think about the most are actually like really weird small keating like quirk moments like i don't know i've been thinking a lot about when the hat is caught by the tree you know what i'm talking about yeah like and there's something about that scene that like resonated with me for no reason where i was like i literally like that's like me looking for my keys and they're like right in front of, or they're already in my yeah. pocket. Have you ever, yeah. have you ever been on the phone looking for your phone? Um, like I haven't, but my mom has while I've been but, talking on the phone with her. <laughs> yes. I have had that moment where I was like, where's my phone? You know? And I'm like, yeah. Oh wait, I'm talking on it. You know? Yeah. Um, so like there's like little moments like that, that I think kind of stick with me or um, just kind of the payoff with the sword gag at the end mm-hmm. um, yeah. is really fun. The, like there's a lot of small um sort of like character driven gags that stuck with me more than the like large action moments where there's like four guys hanging off the train they almost flew off the the edge of that thing you know yeah. like or when the train goes up and like almost falls over if you love trains man this is your movie also RIP to those historians watching this movie as they destroy <laughs> these massive steam engines. I just think it's hilarious. So I I mean I have to say this because it's it's just a it's a joke at this point, Cameron. But Cameron knows in high school I worked for a small railroad. Um a very small railroad uh, at a park that if you're local you'll know where it is. Um and they have like these miniature steam engines and they always said we were competing with Disneyland, which is a bunch of crap. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> it was stupid. I worked there for a year and they like, they basically asked me to never come back. It was, I don't, it was traumatizing for young teenage Isaac. Um, because the train and working on the railroad is brutal. Uh, so I always say I used to work on the railroad, of course. <laughs> um, but one of the most obnoxious things about working on a railroad is that, especially when it's a nonprofit mini town driven thing. Uh, there's a ton of old people there that are obsessed with real trains, but there's a bunch of small trains there and they keep talking about how they used to drive big 
awesome steam engines and they'll go on and on about <laughs> like just the oldest uh, back in the day with the 18th century so watching this movie i was like man if only i could see those old guys little old geezers if they're still alive yeah. watch this movie and just cry oh why would you do that to a steam engine it's pretty <laughs> awesome they like just smash these things into each other oh, nothing yeah. like nothing explosive but like definite no, crippling damage there, you know? there is a uh, uh they literally fling a train off of a burning bridge oh well yeah it's i mean like, that scene is yeah it's insane it's <laughs> <laughs> um well i was gonna mention um I think that's a pretty good transition, though, because uh, this. It's interesting that you were saying how, like, some of the smaller moments were the ones that that keep you engaged. And I think it actually works on a on a dual level where, like, uh, as you were saying, sort of um, the big stunts are kind of there to keep you watching. And the little moments are the ones that kind of keep you um engaged in in the personal level i guess um yeah and you know th there's there's moments of you like feeling connected in a way to keaton as you know his character um who's kind of I mean, it's funny because he, he displays both complete ineptitude and um like true sheer genius in some ways you know like yeah. he, he kind of he kind of splits uh both of those things whereas like like um the tramp charlie chaplin's famous character um the tramp is very much a um he's kind of just a bumbling fool in a lot of ways um mm. and and he doesn't i wouldn't say he has quite the complexity that um that keaton's characters usually complete uh like you know i i think i think there's just a little bit more um i think the stunt driven nature of it is kind of what what gives way to um like peeking behind the curtain a little bit on how like oh yeah keaton's keaton is actually just like a brilliant guy and you know was a was a brilliant filmmaker at one point and just an awesome stunt man and so like you can kind of see that behind the character who's supposed to be kind of a, a bumbling idiot in a lot of ways. Um, mm. But uh, I mean, I think of this movie, I don't know if this is going to be controversial, but I think of this movie in the same way that I think of like the mission impossible movies um, Oh, where there's um, the, it's like the thrill is the same, if that makes sense. Um, the thrill of watching someone do something on screen that is like insane and also um, like really technically impressive. It's like it's I get the same amount of um, enjoyment out of out of these movies in in, in some ways. Um, I, I totally I just I just realized that I lied. I did watch a movie this week uh, <laughs> because we're talking about technical uh, I, I rewatched No Time to Die with oh. my dad because mm. we, we were sick. And I had been watching, you know, Book of Boba Fett, some Marvel stuff. Um, and that movie just feels so real. I don't even know if it is, but it, it, it seems like they're actually at a place shooting out there. Um, and the everything is practical and they have like this, really, I think the standout, 
scene in that movie is towards the climax where they do a one-shot stairwell like action scene uh, where they like follow Bond up a staircase. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. It's probably like 10 minutes. It feels like 10 minutes. It's super intense. They're like clearing room. He's like clearing rooms and stuff. It's like the best scene in the movie. Um, and yeah, there's something about like when it's real. I don't, I don't know. I know that sounds dumb, but like you cannot tell me that, you know, the final conflict of, you know, the Avengers Endgame, right? Where there's just like CGI <laughs> craziness. Like that doesn't compare to some of these moments in movies where it's like a small, like one-on-one duel. I mean, like I, a lot of people, I've been talking about the end of the year and I think about like Dune's ending. So many people have been saying about Dune, like, oh, we'll see if that's a good movie. And I, I hate that review of Dune. Like, I think that that review is like kind of, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like it's really discounting all the good stuff in that movie. But Dune o- ends with like such a small scale conflict that, you know, my brother was like, oh, it looked terrible and stuff. He didn't like the ending of the movie. Um, but for me, I was like, this is like, a moment. This is like one of the most important moments in the movie. And it's like, it feels real. You know, it's like two people. It's not a CGI fight. It's like two people up against each other. And I would say the same thing about the practicality in Mad Max, a hundred percent for Mission Impossible movies, um, minus Fallout, which I know you like, but when they're punching through porcelain sinks i'm like what is that you know uh (laughs) and um i yeah i would say it for this movie too there's just something um very visceral about this movie and all those all those films have very different tones and feelings i'm not saying that it has to be gritty and real right um i'm saying that when it's like practical there's like a there is this there's this life to it, you yeah. know? I, I love the old practical Star Wars stuff. I, I think it's like it's super cool. And I and if you ever watch some of the you know, I I forget. I recently watched something with um what's that guy? Adam Savage on uh like visual effects artists reacts with like Courier Digital on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Those those videos are amazing. If you care at all about like practical effects, they did one with Adam Savage, who's the MythBusters guy. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea that Adam Savage worked on the Star Wars prequels mm-hmm. and the Matrix trilogy and things like that. And he goes through all these practical because he was like a practical effects guy, and they yeah. talk about all their practical effects. And I'm like, there's a reason that there's like life in those movies. I don't know. I don't know how you decide when to go practical and when to not go practical, but they're like a movie like this says like, if you can go practical 24 seven, you can last hundreds of a hundred years. You know, Uh, like that's basically like what I was trying to get to in in this tangent. So it's, it's, it's funny because this was a core philosophy of Keaton's. And I think Mm. something that we can look at today, which is, he was coming from the world of vaudeville, right? Which I kind of mentioned was um, just an entertainment show, um, a mixture of a lot of different acts usually. 
and was something that uh, you know it involved magic and involved you know s- sort of stage illusions and and whatnot. Um, and his philosophy, and as film was kind of picking up steam, it really had the um, it had the same sort of backing that like a magic trick or a magic show does, you know, where you're like, you know that it's not real, um, but you kind of want to figure out how they did it, you know? And there's a little bit of, um, there's a sense of, of being, um, like wanting to see what's behind the curtain a little bit and skepticism, I guess. Um, and so, you know, the, the, his Keaton's philosophy was, um, if you're going to do a stunt, if you're going to do a gag, the only way to convince the audience on film that it was real is that if it's real. Um, and so, and his, his whole career was based around, um, being a performer and being a stunt man and really doing the things on screen that he was saying he was doing. Um, in order to not feel like he was tricking the audience, I guess. Um, and he was also very famous for if a stunt doesn't work, um, when you do it like the first time, uh, you either have to cut it or improvise basically. So they're, they're like really famous examples of him, um, making up a stunt essentially, or doing a, a completely different stunt because the first time it went terribly wrong (laughs) and um i don't know i think he just has such a good attitude in the same way that um you know tom cruise does he's like tom cruise is basically just doing buster keaton again (laughs) and i don't know if it's like sort of a conversation of 2022 or something maybe it's because of the whole metaverse thing or something like that but there's something about tangibility like something that's real i've been thinking a lot about like uh, I, I have this Nintendo Switch over here. I've been playing a lot um, when I'm when I'm sick, and they released like a virtual console of um, the Nintendo 64, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm playing the Nintendo 64 on the Switch, and I look across and I have my Nintendo 64 on the shelf, and I think to myself like, this is convenient, but it's not as real. Mm. And is awesome as playing an actual Nintendo 64. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 100%. And it, and that's sort of how I feel about the practical effects. And Tom Cruise's movies, like, there's an energy about them. Um, and I maybe this is just me being snobby, but the older I get, the more I feel this way. And the more people lean into like this digital thing, actually. It, it has a reverse effect where I'm like, I value the physical even more. Yeah. Um, I think this conversation has been happening a lot in gaming, and I hate to bring it back to that a lot, but um, there are like skews of the console that have a, a, a disc tray to put a physical disc in for gamers, and there's skews of ones that don't have the disc, the physical disc, and... Uh, there's there's supply constraints right now for PlayStation 5, right? That's what I'm talking about. Sorry, PlayStation 5. Um, and Sony's already come out and said like they're just producing the ones with the physical disc in a much higher quantity than the ones that are digital only. Like the digital future is obviously coming, but a conversation around like something that's tangible, I just feel like there's 
there's so much more value in that. And when there's a movie that comes out that sort of respects that sort of that sentiment, um, there's definitely like a payoff for the viewer. Yeah. At least, at least in my, in my opinion. Now, Marvel begs to differ, right? And I do think that digital use has some, some like, like profound effect. I actually think the de-aging stuff is amazing. I, I think that that stuff has become, it's gotten to the point where it's not distracting with the Spider-Man. The, the last Spider-Man that I watched, like Willem Dafoe looks just as young as he was. And he's acting like he's just as young as he was. And it's awesome. It literally is like, it completely fools you, right? Like it is, I n- never once did I think that think about de-aging when watching that movie. It was unbelievable. Um, so there's a there's a place for digital effects and CGI, of course. I just think that the heavy reliance has sucked the energy and and the the power that this movie proves a hun- like a, it, with its with its age, right? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I I agree with you, Cameron. Yeah, and. Um, you know, it's so funny. I just realized, uh, the first movie that we watched 1920, it's 102 years old. Like that's insane to think about. And, um, you know, so, so some of the intrigue for me, and then obviously the general is, you know, 96 or whatever, 90 something, however many years ago. Um, so almost a hundred years old, um, and some of the intrigue to me is like not just seeing um, who has been inspired by these movies, but also how relevant they can be today, and what's the what's the gap there, um, and you know what what can uh, what can we do as artists and as creatives to bring back some of that energy and some of that inspiration from some from like the pioneering days of film. Um, and there is something interesting about looking at these movies and saying like, oh, well, there's still, there's still stuff to learn now. You know, we haven't, we haven't pulled everything out of, out of this, this movie, even though maybe we thought we did, or maybe, you know, it's a relic of, of a bygone era, which it certainly is. Um, you can look back today and say like, oh, wow, we're not doing this, um, we're not where we, we haven't learned all the lessons that we could from a movie like this. Um, and maybe it's, uh, I think part of it is our sort of forward thinking nature, um, as you know, sort of, um, you know, film is, is, you know, it's looking away from the, the last like 10 years and trying to, to depart from, uh, the trends, um, and, and stand out. Um, but, in some ways you have to think back on, you know, maybe there's something that we can learn from movies a hundred years ago. Um, and that's pretty impressive that a movie like this can, can still hold its own to, you know, basically just two people who are, uh, you know, who, who are not like decision makers necessarily, but we're two, you know, two guys who have basically just compared this movie to like, Mission Impossible and like some of the biggest blockbusters now. Um, and I think there's truth in saying like, oh yeah, there's, there's, um, 
there's something still here. There's something, there's a gem in, in under maybe all of the imperfections of just the early days of cinema. Um, but there's, there's something, there's something to be, um, looked at and looked at fondly. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think with all sort of like creative examples and, and things, I mean, like I, I got these guitars back here. I'm going to just keep making other examples, right? Um, the guitar has changed a lot over the last, what, whether we're going to like the 50s, 40s, even further than that. But I'm thinking about electric guitars specifically, right? Yeah. Um, with the broadcaster from Fender, which is now known as the Telecaster. Um, and there, there's a bunch of history behind the way that Fender's changes guitars and Gibson's changes guitars guitars and there's all these modern features right in the new american made lines and these expensive exquisite guitars right um what's surprising to me is that those classic designs of guitars um you think of an es335 from gibson or a telecaster or a stratocaster you know the john mayer guitar that everyone knows about um, these are iconic guitar styles that in in all reality like there are the modern counterparts, but as a guitarist, so many people look for that vintage feel. Um, and a lot of it comes back to the wood uh, or, or the craftsmanship of, of the time. But it even goes as far as people saying, like, I wish the neck was fat like the old ones, you know? And so now these modern guitar companies who have evolved their shapes and feels are remaking the old ones to the best of their ability and it's just kind of interesting to compare an industry that makes something very different than entertainment and movies, right? They're making tools to be creative, right? Uh, kind of honing back to basics. Um, and I think it's kind of, if, if you're really deep into an industry for a long time, whether they're making tools or jackets or movies or anything, right? You're going to start picking up on how there's like this recycling and respect for the history around, around certain things, even, you know, in school, like schools of thought, right. I studied economics. There's like this recycling of, well, maybe we didn't get that idea right. Even though it was abandoned a hundred years ago, we'll bring it back and re revive it. I can't tell you how many times there's like, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, Keynesian thought and the new Keynesian thought, right? And stupid stuff in economics. But I'm hoping the practical effects and the power that this movie kind of echoes in into the modern day, like, I want it to be recycled. I think that's like kind of sort of the thesis statement with this episode is like, you know, don't, even though they're expensive and impractical uh, for costs, right? the the practical effects uh, effects the reality of that can the, can bring a ton of life and you know talking about book of boba fett right like i i remember seeing the mandalorian for the first time and it wasn't the cgi backgrounds and the interesting ways that they made that show in a studio like that those elements weren't the things that made me say i love this show you know um it was a fact that they built a practical Yoda puppet mm. that I was like, that practical puppet brings me back to why I loved Star Wars in some weird way. Now, is the show perfect? No. But it wasn't the CGI backgrounds that did that. It was that puppet, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, 
yeah, I, I just think, I think that is a testament to uh, the power of practical effects. And if you want to see the origin of it, man, this is where you got to watch this movie, you know? Yeah, 100%. And on top of that, I think, um, I think it is fairly accessible, honestly. Um, hmm. Yeah. Just to kind of wrap up our thoughts, I guess. I think, I think this movie, in a lot of ways, um, is both entertaining, um, pretty heartfelt and, um, you know, it, it really, um, and it's free in a lot of different places. Um, in fact, one of the, so one of the reasons why there's such bad versions of this movie and a lot of Keaton's movies are because, because I think because of their age, because they were kind of made, uh, precariously in a lot of ways. Um, not, I think there's a lot of, like they just sold rights to a lot of different people. And I think at this point it's, it's, um, you know, a lot of, there are a lot of companies that made like remasters and re-release this, uh, this movie and a lot of Keaton's movies. So there isn't really one definitive version of this film, which I think is a disappointment for me. Like I wish there was a criterion version of, of mm. this movie. Um, cause I think it would have, it, it could, um, you know, there, there could be a, uh, you know, one standard version of, of this film that everybody, you know, watches, but in some regards, there's something neat about seeing all the variations and seeing sort of the different music and, um, you know, there, there's, there's history there too, but, um, I would say in general, people can come to this movie, um, and be pretty entertained. It's very short. It's only an hour and 10 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes or something. Um, so it's, yeah, it's very short and, um, it really feels, um, special in a lot of ways. And, and I think, I think you, you can see sort of the life and energy, um, surrounding this movie. Uh, so I'm going to say it's for everybody. Um, although it probably is mostly for people who are curious and above, but, um, because those are the only people who would seek it out as a silent movie. Sure, um, yeah. But I think it really does have something for everybody. Um, and just the enjoyability of it is is something um, something to behold. So, I still can't get over the fact that the movie's silent. Um, kind of. I don't know. It's, good. it's got the sound effects and whatnot. I am sort of in agreement with you, but I have to like kind of knock it a little bit. So I'm going to put it for the casuals because I think even casual people like movie watchers can enjoy it. Like if my, I don't know. I always think about like my parents and my girlfriend, like my, my girlfriend would not want to watch this movie, uh, but my parents would probably sit through it and be okay with it. You know, like they'd be like, Oh, it's kind of interesting. Right. So, I mean, that's where I'm like, yeah, it's kind of, I feel like you could just slide it into that for the casuals uh, and sort of you know I, I it could work but i don't feel negative about the film i think it's um i don't know i think it's uh i think it stands for something that i believe is important and, and it can be applied to modern film i agree with you cameron so um yeah 
that's I mean that's pretty much all we have to we have to say with it. I mean, down with the metaverse. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, no, I think but, I think you're right in saying that people are probably looking for more authentic experiences now, and there is yeah. something interesting about having something be tangible. And uh, you know, this movie from a hundred years ago is a great example of that. So, yeah, true, true. Too bad there's no YouTube comments with this one though. You know. There is a YouTube version, um, but it's in like 480p and doesn't look as good as this one. So um, you can watch it on YouTube. I'm going to see. Now I'm going to look it up right now. But the show's basically done, Cameron. Do you have anything else you need to add to this review at all? Um, no, go watch it. It's it's a fun time. It's, it's interesting. It's obviously a little history lesson, but um, if you're into that and you've never watched anything Keaton, I think this is a great a great starting point, I would say. Yeah, man, I'm trying to look up the comments on YouTube about this movie. That's like what I want to see. <laughs> Let's see the general mo- full movie, right? This is I mean, like that was such a cool experience for me. I don't see the whole movie. Oh, the general. Oh, yeah, they have the this is the black and white version, though, Cameron. Yeah, it is. yeah. but it's, so it's I guess it, not very good quality. <laughs> my ears okay um (laughs) yeah i think that wraps it up let's see what some of these comments are a bunch of people say it's a masterpiece heart of a comedian mind of an engineer that's pretty good look at this so comforting to me knowing that people a century ago still had a sense of humor as we did now yeah that's true you know there's actually a lot of weirdly like modern comedy in like slapstick you know, oh, yeah, there was definitely. something yeah. there. Yeah, there, it is. It is weird. Sometimes like, um, like I was surprised there was like that weird. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm just messed up, but there was something like kind of strangely sexual about some of the jokes sometimes that are happening that are like physical jokes. Maybe I, I maybe I'm just whack, but like the in the in the one with the house, she like spills milk all over her face. And I'm like, what is happening? That, that like, one oh, is, um, is that, I think that movie is a little bit more overtly sexual. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of interesting from being, you know, an even older example. But yeah, so I think you're right. I think, I think there's a lot of sexual jokes in, in, uh, one week, a hundred percent. Yeah. Locomotives were harmed during the making of this movie. Okay, yeah, this is awesome. I love the the comments section, dude. Uh, yeah, dude. Um, anyways, I guess you can watch it on YouTube too. So yeah, there, and read some funny comments about it or whatever. Um, but cool, Cameron. Let's wrap it up. We post every Monday. If you guys ap- appreciate the show and everything, you know what to do. Um, and we'll see you next week. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast that is fully funded on Patreon.com. Shout out to our producers, Darren O'Neill, for supporting the show and to the rest of you that support us at Patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. If you want to learn more about the benefits you can get, check out our Patreon. The show cannot happen without you great listeners, so we thank you for all your kindness and support.